0: Raised, I was saved in 1981, and uh, started a, a attending right then. In fact, where I was saved was at a Calvary chapel, and it was all contemporary music that they played there. And so that was the Christian music, that was the gospel music that I was uh, tuned in on for years. And then I began to hear some of the hymns. Some of the depth and richness of some of those hymns is just amazing. There's one hymn in particular that I wanted to mention to you. It's called Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. It was written by a man named J. Wilbur Chapman. It goes like this, Jesus, what a friend for sin- sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes may assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, he my strength. My victory wins. Jesus, what a help in sorrow while the billows over me, me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he my comfort helps my soul. Jesus, what a guide and keeper, while the tempest still is high, storms about me, night overtakes me, he my pilot. Here's my cry, Jesus, I do now receive him, more than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness, I am his, and he is mine. Hallelujah, what a savior, hallelujah, what a friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. J. Wilbur Chapman wrote this in 1910. Chapman was 58 years old when he wrote this hymn and had been faithfully serving the Lord as a student, a pastor, and evangelist for 41 years. Yet in this hymn we see a man intensely aware of his need for a Savior. Our text today reveals men whom did not know their need until they came face to face with Jesus. For those of us who know Jesus, their reaction is puzzling. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, that you would speak through your word. God, that your word would take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that this text would strengthen our compassion for those who are caught up in sin, those who have been trapped, Lord, I pray that this text would serve to increase not only our compassion for those, but also, Lord, our understanding of what you've done for us. May we know ourselves better because of your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. John chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 2 says now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them then the scribes and pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman was caught in adultery in the very act now moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned but what do you say This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't even hear him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, being with with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord, no one. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, let's start by looking at who Jesus spent time with. It's pretty interesting. In Luke fifteen one through 7 it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I say to you, Likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Tell me, is there anyone who is in no need of repentance? This statement to them should have cut them to the heart when he said that. If they had any sense of their own sin. He then tells the parables of the lost coin and the prodigal son. Jesus was declaring the great joy that should sweep over us when one sinner comes and repents. Whenever I first got saved in 1981, one of the first things I did at church, they had a special evening and uh, they showed Christian movies. And, you know, it was on the big reel, and it was a film, regular film. This back in the olden days, kids. And they showed these cheesy, poorly done, poorly acted movies, and yet I found myself crying every time somebody got saved in them. Can you identify? <laughs> yeah. I would, uh, you know, some of the... the Salvation moments in movies are just so... It's not tears of, of pain, it's tears of rejoicing that a lost sinner has been found and has come to repentance. Well, that's what Jesus wants of us. Jack? Well, I was afraid that was... I was afraid that was eventually going to happen here because I throw my hands around a lot. All right. Jack Martin, a man I worked with at the Seattle Union Gospel Mission. I was a chaplain up there at the time. And Jack Martin was saved at the Water Street Rescue Mission in the early 50s. And this was in probably the late 90s whenever... Uh, this event happened. I started doing the what, being in charge of the evening chapel services, and on Saturday night we had a big program we call Saturday Night Live. A lot of worship, and and it was just a great time. And at the end of that, we of course made an invitation, and a number of men came forward, and we went to the prayer room together. And I watched Jack praying with this guy. Now, I figure Jack has been in ministry rescue ministry. He went down and he started an orphanage in, at the very south part of Mexico. Great man of God. Had seen hundreds and hundreds come to Christ. And yet, as I saw him leading this man to Christ who was in tears, Jack also was in tears. There was still a rejoicing after all those years. That's what Jesus says we should be, that should be our attitude. In Luke 7, the Pharisees were appalled when a sinful woman washed the feet of Jesus with her tears. One of the most loathed group of people, a tax collector called Levi, was called by Jesus to follow him. This tax collector we know now as the Apostle Matthew The Pharisees all grumbled when another tax collector, a little short man, probably about my height, that's short, uh, maybe shorter, named Zacchaeus, hurried down a sycamore tree to receive Jesus joyfully. Now don't misunderstand me. Jesus did not call people to salvation without repentance of sin. Or what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. In fact, the grace we receive came at a great cost to Jesus. The price he paid was more than any of us could possibly bear. It came at a great cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which disciples leave their nets and follow him. The grace that Jesus gave the adulterous woman was costly grace. He paid dearly for it and he called her just as he calls us to live a life of holiness, for he is holy. Verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So Jesus was simply teaching the people undoubtedly about the kingdom. What a great moment. The Son of God, God in the flesh, our Savior, Redeemer Redeemer teaching. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't that have been a great moment if you happened to be there when he He was teaching? What an amazing, amazing moment there would have been. Him calling all of those who are burdened and heavy laden, that's what He did when He taught. He called those who were, who were under this weight of sin, all those who had a heavy load upon them. However, this great moment was rudely interrupted. Verse 3, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Verse 4, They said to Him, Teacher, this... ...has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the words here mean in the very act of adultery, in the moment that this was taking place, she was caught in that moment. They wanted there to be no question of her guilt. When they brought her to Jesus, he, they didn't want any question about her guilt. They didn't want to say, he, him to say, well, how do you know? They didn't want anything like that. She was caught in the very act. It is done. She is caught. She is guilty. Absolutely guilty. They were setting Jesus up. And I can't help but wonder if she had been set up too. Verse 5. Now in the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? The trap is set. Their righteous indignation first. Time I heard this term, righteous indignation. You know what I thought? Who's used that term? Oh, I'm I'm not angry. This is righteous indignation. (laughs) it's an excuse for anger they were angry at Jesus they were trying to trap him and so their so-called righteous indignation was really directed at him not her they were trying to set a trap for him they really revealed their own hypocrisy at that moment but the trap is set If he says to let her off the hook, he will violate the law of Moses. If he says to stone her, he will be going against his own message of the kingdom where grace and mercy reign. All the teaching he had done about grace, about mercy, about love and kindness and and bringing people to repentance, all of these things would have been negated if he just said, okay, we'll stone her to death. And should he call for her execution, he would break the laws of Rome. Because the Roman government who occupied Israel at that time, they were the ones only who had the right, according to their law, to administer capital punishment. The trap is set. Verse 6. This they said to him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. The trap is set. Now they watched him, waiting for their brilliant scheme to entrap him. But what does Jesus do? He kneels and writes on the ground. Verse 6, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote. There is nothing in the text to suggest he wrote anything. The original word could actually mean to mark. So he may have just been there just kind of moving his finger, making marks in the sand. He was, in a sense, showing his disinterest in their trap. but if we needed to know what he was writing, it would have been in the text. So I won't speculate. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, So they just kept at it. I'm sure they were thinking very highly of themselves at this point. And then finally it says in verse 7, as we go on, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her the language here apparently means to let he who was without this very sin of adultery let he who is without this very sin be the first one to throw a stone at her their hypocrisy is revealed where was the man that had been caught with this woman, by the way. Leviticus 2010 tells us that if a man commits adultery with the wife of a neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. So where's the man in this? Where was he? This was a setup. But all of these men were adulterers and Jesus knew it. We see in Romans where the Apostle Paul talks about all of this sin and then he says to the the people there, you are the very ones that are doing this. They were not without this same sin. So after his brief words, what did he do? I don't know how long that went on. Could have been quite a while. And once more, verse 8, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, we don't know why they left oldest to the youngest. It doesn't give us that information in the text. But perhaps the older ones were either more aware of themselves. I know the older I get, the more I get aware of myself. So they perhaps... Were more aware of their own sin. Plus, they had many more years of sin behind them, didn't they? Having your pride and arrogance stripped away, and having your sin laid out before you, as Jesus did in that moment, wouldn't the correct response be to fall before Him in repentance? Wouldn't that be have been a great response if they would have all, oh, oh no, and went and bowed and came to repentance, but they didn't. Their conviction didn't cause them to stay like she did. Their conviction made them leave. They didn't want any more of it. Their trap was turned back on them, and instead of recognizing truth and falling on their face in repentance, they simply left. Instead, they all walked away, and only the woman remained. She was burdened and heavy laden, and she knew it. The ones who left, they were burdened and heavy laden, and they didn't even know it. They loved their burden, I guess. Verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? The word woman is a respectful word. He was already beginning to restore her dignity at that moment woman has no one condemned you verse 11 she said no one lord and jesus said neither do i condemn you go and from now on sin no more he was calling her to a new restored life of holiness he forgave her as only god can forgive did you know that that you can do something to me and I can forgive you or I can do something to you and you can forgive me. But I'm not really forgiven until God forgives me. Only God is the one who all sin is against him. All sin. And only he ultimately can forgive. David recognized this. If you read in Psalm 51 where he says to, in this psalm, he says, God, against you I have sinned, and only you. Now we know he did terrible things to other people, but it says, against you, God, and only you did I sin. He recognized this very truth. He forgave her as only God can forgive. He restored her, then he called her to a life of one that has been restored. That's what he called her to after that. As Peter said in 1 Peter 1, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. To close, I want to share about what Jesus said regarding another sinful woman in Luke 7. In verse 47, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Most of us, when we came to Christ, there are some who have the blessing of being raised from a child. Kids, being raised as a child in a godly home and coming to Christ at an early age. I know some people can't even really remember when they came to Christ because it was just who they were. And that's a beautiful thing. But most of us came to Christ later when we were laden. We were burdened and heavy laden and we came to Christ. There was something that was going on in our lives that brought us to a point of being broken, sweetly broken. And as we were broken, we came to Christ. I remember when I first came to the Lord, um, I I was really annoying. (laughs) Every conversation I had with anybody was built around me trying to manipulate them to let me tell them about Jesus. I struggled. I worked hard at every conversation to take it there. I was I was so filled with joy. My boss, who I'd been working for for five years, I was a machinist, and and I had been working for him for for about five six years. And all of a sudden, when I came to Christ, he started treating me differently. He was really it was like he was constantly annoyed at me. And one of my coworkers, I asked him, you know, I mentioned that to him, and and he says, yeah, I see it too. And I said, Well, I wonder what is causing this. Here's what he said Wally was my boss's name. Wally said, He smiles too much. I can't trust a man that smiles too much. (laughs) I tell you, I, I laughed about that later, and I I continued to laugh about it for years. But I came to the point where I realized Wally was burdened and heavy laden. He was so weighted down by the sin in his life that he couldn't even be glad about someone else's rejoicing and joy. May we never do that. When we see someone that comes into the mission, and they walk in with this heavy weight upon them, that's heartbreaking. We should never feel built up by that. We should never rejoice in iniquity, as it says in First Corinthians 13. But we should see them as one who is burdened and heavy laden. And we need to tell them about Jesus, don't we? Not that we tell them what's wrong with them. Jesus didn't tell her what was wrong with with her, she knew. She knew exactly who she was and what she had done. No, Jesus called her to repentance and to a new life. That's our calling. Every opportunity we get. Be annoying on your job, okay? <laughs> let your joy shine through and let your conversations, matter. no matter who it is, let your conversation be about Jesus, whether they know Him or not. Do not change your conversation when you're around someone that's an unbeliever. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, as Paul said. Be ready and willing to give an answer for the hope that's within you. Be ready all the time. Let God use you. When you see one who is burdened and heavy laden, don't be disgusted by their state. That's easy to do. I was watching a, a program on TV and there was a, a woman who was in the gangs and, and she was just the way she was acting and, and, and the clothes she was wearing and her language, everything that was going on, I started feeling disgusted. And I caught myself and no, there are people like that. I did inner city youth ministry for seven years in California was the director of the inner city ministry there for the Bakersfield Rescue Mission. And I saw kids like that. I went to their homes. I saw what they lived in. I saw what kind of burden had been placed on their shoulders all their lives. And our hearts should break for those when we see them like that. Don't ever be disgusted by someone's heavy load by the burden that they carry. Let us instead tell them about Jesus. Let them learn to rejoice in his salvation. May we all be among those who love much, because even if you were raised in a Christian home all your life, You still have sin. Because we have all been forgiven much, we should all be aware of what we've been forgiven of, forgiven for. Let us be among those who love much because we have all been forgiven much at a great price. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion towards us. Lord, I think of in Matthew 9, where you looked out over the multitudes and you were moved with compassion, for they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. Lord, that you were agonized over it. Hmm. Lord, may we have that same kind of heart and compassion that you've had towards us. May we direct that towards others. May we be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus, God forgave us. May that happen in our lives, Lord. May we be committed to the gospel and not ashamed of it. May we look upon others who have a heavy load, that have a burden and are heavy laden, Lord. When we look at them, may we look at them with compassion and may we point them to you, Lord, for you are the light. God, work that out in our lives. Make us the men and women of God that you would have us to be. And I pray for the children that are here this morning. I love those precious voices. Lord, may they grow up knowing you, loving you, and having compassion on others. Lord, may we take serious our call to be holy. Yet, Lord, may we walk in the grace knowing that you've got us covered. Lord, we put it all before You. And we pray that You would make us all, the men and women of God, that You would have us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name.